So firstly, before I get into the message that I have in my heart to share with all of you, sometimes during worship, it's just like God stirs your heart and it's like you, you experience something in your heart. And I was so conflicted now, saying, God, do you want me to preach about something else? Because I'm just, I have this burden on my heart and then I've got the message that I want to share. And to be honest, I was walking up here still saying, God, you need to tell me what to speak about if you need to, uh, if you want me to speak about anything else, because we want to be obedient to God. But I'm still going to preach my message, because I do think it's something applicable to us tonight. But I firstly wanted to say, I just felt in my heart that God really has a desire for people sitting here tonight to really, really get to know Him. I just feel like God was pushing His finger on it and saying, there are people here who know about me, but they do not know me. And I feel like there are people who know Him, but God wants you, you to know Him more intimately. And I feel like there's this drawing of God tonight saying, you cannot sit here and be satisfied with what you know about me. There is more. There's a lot more. And so if you're sitting here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, then the more for you would be taking that first step and saying, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I want to give you my everything. That will be the more that God, I believe, is pushing on my heart for you tonight. And I had to make that decision when I was 17 years old. I went on a camp, and there was a worship session like this, and I saw people raising their hands in the air, and I thought it was so weird. And anyone else feel like that? No? Okay, you might be too shy to say, I know. But I, I thought, these people are crazy, they're worshipping God, but, and I've heard about God, but I, I just, it's something doesn't click for me. And on that camp, for the first time, I experienced the love of God that pulled me, that drew me in. And it's like my old life didn't make sense anymore. My old life just went to the fray. It was just gone. It was like I, I didn't care about those things anymore. All I cared about was living for God. And I, I believe tonight there's some of you sitting here that God is saying, I want to take you deeper. I want you to know me. If you do not know me, I died on a cross so that you could get to know me. Jesus Christ, when he was hanging on the cross, he was thinking of you. And he was thinking of tonight for some of you. He was thinking, tonight I'm calling out to some of my sons, some of my daughters, and I want to save them. I want to draw them into my kingdom. I want to show them my love because I love them so dearly I was willing to lay down everything so that they could live. If you're sitting here tonight and you do not know Jesus, before I preach, I want to say to you, He loves you. He loves you so much. So much. And then secondly, if you sit here and you know Jesus, you don't know Him enough. I don't know Him enough. And many times the things of this world steal our attention so much, but God wants to say tonight to you, wherever you are, I want to know you more deeply. I didn't die for a superficial relationship with you. I did not die so that you could come to church. I did not know to die so that you could go to a home group on a Wednesday evening. I did not die so that you could have Christian friends. I died to know you and know you deeply. That's where you I died. He took your sin upon himself on that cross. And he said, I'm willing to die for your sin. You need to die for it actually because you are guilty. But I'll take your guilt on my shoulders. And I will die for your sin. And Jesus is reaching out to some of you tonight. He really is. He really is. And I'm trusting that as I'm speaking, I'm just going to pray because my sermon is on a little bit of a different tangent, but 
I'm just going to pray that as I'm speaking, I mean, I'm just a human being. I'm flawed. My words are just words. But I just want to trust that if you sit here tonight and you have a desire to know Jesus more deeply, that as I speak, that it will start drawing your heart. Because it's nothing that I can do. It's nothing that I can do. But it's our wonderful Father. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who we know. It's Him that wants to draw you in tonight. So let's, let's just close our eyes. I just want to pray for us before I start. Oh Jesus Christ, I thank you so much that you love us. And that you love us deeply. You don't love us a little bit, Lord. You love us enough to die for us. It's a type of love we do not know. We don't see it on this earth. But you demonstrate to us, Lord, to, to us, God. It's not just a story. You dying on the cross is not just a story. Lord, you have a desire to really know us. Know us intimately. And God, I pray tonight as I speak that you would draw those who do not know you. And I pray that people would come to know you more intimately tonight through my flawed words. That you would come and that you would move in their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I get an amen from you? Amen. It's a good thing, eh? Let's just get a last amen. 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 It's good. It's something we're trusting for. Amen. Let me say, oh, thank you. I've got two waters. Oh, this is a new one. Oh, thank you. Thought maybe I drank some of someone's COVID water or something. <laughs> Thanks so much. Anyway, that's a good thing. It's a good desire for us to have. So I want to speak to you tonight about, um, about our name, actually. This church's name is... No, not Josh. No, it's Josh Jen, but it's Joshua Generation. That's the full name of this church. And, and I just felt for tonight to actually remind us of this. The, the big Bible word is mandate. A mandate is if I send you and I give you a mission to go and do, then I give you a mandate. Right? And as a church, we believe that God, through Andrew said he planted this church 20 years ago, and now through Studies PM, I believe that we as a church have a mandate, and that is to be a Joshua Generation Church. That's what he's calling us to. And I just felt to remind us of that, because this is the one chance, probably, for this year, that we are going to get to be together, all of us. Unless if we do something outside, which could be quite cool. And we just get all of us together outside. But from next week, we're probably going to have to split into two groups again because of COVID. And I just felt like I wanted to stand up and say to you guys, we are the Joshua generation. The generation that are called to take the promises of God. To take all of the things that God is calling us for. And to remind us, almost like rallying us together. A bit like a pep talk almost. To say, come on. Come on. We're a Joshua Generation Church. We can do it. We can, but some of you have no clue what I'm speaking about, so I'm going to get there. Okay, I'm going to get there. We'll speak about it now. But if you were to ask many people, what is it about this church? Not like, what do we say on our websites who we are? If I had to ask some of you who have been part of us for a while, what, what have you seen in Joshua that you feel is a little bit different to some other places that you've been? What is that thing that stands out? Because... I know there are a couple of things that stand out. One, for instance, is that we're a very friendly bunch. And when you come, we don't let you go. We like that. We like cassette. No, I'm kidding again. It's a bad joke. It's really a bad joke. But that's one thing that many of you would say. You would say, yes, when I came, people were so friendly. They pulled me in. They loved me. These people love fellowship. They love it. Anyone experience that? They were like, man, these people are so friendly. Yeah. That's it. It's the love of Jesus. 
he says that we will know um, that we are disciples by the love that we have one for another. So it's something we stand for, yes. But I think the overwhelming thing that I feel, we as a church, that stands out about us and that you will get to know if you come to us, is we will not allow you to sit still. We will push you forward in your, in your walk with God. You know what, what is one thing that I can't take and that we can't take? And I'm sorry, if you're still in that space, that's fine. God works graciously with us. But this is the one thing that we really stand for. When someone walks into this church, we want to see them walk forward and then walk, walk with God. We, we, cannot, just, we cannot settle for pew warmers. Now we can actually say pew warmers because we've got pews. How cool, eh? <laughs> Normally we say white chain warmers. Now I can say pew warmers. <laughs> we cannot settle for spiritual oxygen thieves. If I can say it that way. And one thing that you will hear us say so many times is, you need to move forward. God is calling you for something. God is calling us to build a healthy church. God wants to move us forward. And we, we just, we, we can't let it go. So I know that's scary for some of you, but I want to say, if you come to this church, I think one thing that really stands out is that we are a forward-moving people. We don't want to wander around in the desert. We believe there's things that God is calling us for. And we will die to see that become about in our generation. That's what we want. That's what we're trusting for. And that is why we are a Joshua generation. I'm going to explain that for you in a moment. A generation that, yes, we came out of the world, but we have a destination. And we want to take as many people there as we can. So what is a Joshua generation? Now we're going to read the story in a moment. Um, the, the, there's a lot of it. In the Old Testament, if you read the first few books of the, the Old Testament, you get to a couple of key figures. And when I came to Josh Chen, I was totally confused. I didn't understand what this Josh Chen thing is. It just it sounded like a weird name for me. I didn't understand it. But as I started reading the Bible, it's like my eyes opened up and I said, Ah, it just makes sense. It's what, it's what God is calling us for, actually. So if you take a broad sweep of the Old Testament, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a Bible history lesson of what happened in the first few books of the Old Testament, just a little part of it. So there was this place called Egypt. Now Egypt, if you read the Bible, you'll see that Jesus is everywhere in the Bible. There are these images, like the Bible calls it shadows of Jesus, even in the Old Testament. Jesus is not just a New Testament figure. We see these stories pointing to Jesus, even in the Old Testament. And the people of God were held captive by the world, by Egypt. That is a picture of the world. Just like many times today, people, when you get born into this world, it's like the world just takes its grip on you. And you are held captive. It's like sin pulls you in. This world, the cares of this world, it draws you in. But then God sends a man. He sends this guy called Moses. But we are not a Moses generation. We'll get there. And Moses is a guy that stutters. I huckle, right? He stutters, yeah, it almost wakes up. Um, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> you got it. But he stuttered. He was a, he was a guy with stuttering lips, the Bible said. But God said, I don't really care who you are. I'm going to put my spirit on you. And I want you to go and take my people out of Egypt, out of captivity, out of the world. And Moses went and he, uh, God worked through him and he did lots of miracles. 
and Moses took these people and he said, okay, now we are not just exiting from the world because you do know this, to be a Christian is not just getting saved from your sin. That's step one. But that's not all. He said, I'm not just taking you from Egypt. God said to him, you're not just taking them from the world, you're taking them to the promised land. I have something for them. I have a promise for them. I'm calling them for something. And I think too many Christians today have settled for coming out of Egypt. We just become good human beings. Oprah Winfrey is a good human being. I don't want to be like Oprah. (laughs) Does that make sense when I say it? Good people are just good people. Good people aren't going to heaven. That's not, you can become a good person. That's nothing. For God, if you come out of Egypt, you come out of the world and you become a good Christian, that for him is just the start. He's like, I don't really care how good you are. I want to take you somewhere. I've got a promise. I've got a destiny. I've got an inheritance for you. I'm taking you to the promised land. And so this Moses is actually a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. He goes in and he saves the people out of the world, out of, out of Egypt. And this is interesting. We've seen someone getting baptized tonight and we're really excited about it. The people of God then, and this is the word that Amy shared now, then God opens up the water. And after their salvation, after they got taken out of the world, the first thing they do is they go through the water. What do you think that symbolizes? Baptism. As a Christian, that's something God wants you to do. We're speaking about this journey as Christians that we go through. God wants you to be baptized after salvation, not before salvation. After salvation, God wants you to be baptized. And as these people of God go through the Red Sea, the Red Sea closes and it's like God does a miracle and He kills the world that they cannot reach the people of God. Baptism has power to it. It's not just a symbol. When you get baptized, God does something in your life. He breaks off a part of the world. Yes, you're still going to struggle with sin, but the big chokehold of sin gets broken off like the Egyptians died in that sea. And then God took them into the wilderness, and this is where Joshua came in. And as they were standing in front of the promised land, which was just a few days' journey, but those of you who know we're going to get there, it actually took them 40 years of wandering in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. But it's actually a very short journey. And this is where Joshua comes into the picture. Moses then comes to the promised land, and the promised land is a place that is inherited by giants, they say. There are other people there. But God is sending them there. God is saying, that is your land. But that's a bit awkward because there's other people there. <laughs> and so they don't know how to process it. So what Moses does is he says, I'm going to send 12 spies. And he says, next, I'm not going with No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, he didn't go with but he didn't say next. He didn't exist the Bible times. <laughs> so... Moses gets to, to the promised land and he says, I'm going to, there were 12 tribes of the people of God. He says, I'm going to take one head of each of the tribes and I'm going to send you guys into the promised land to go spy out the promised land to see what it's like. Because God has promised that it's good, but we just want to see it with our own eyes. And these 12 people go in. Two of these people, you're going to remember these names. The one is called Joshua, the Joshua generation. The second guy is called Caleb. He's a good guy as well. <laughs> but we're also not a Cain generation. We could have been. It's almost the same. And then there are 10 others. You won't remember the names. And I won't be able to pronounce them. So that's okay as well. 
but there are the 12 spies and they are called to go into the land, uh, the promised land, and go see what it's like and come back and give a report to Moses so that the people of God can rally together and take the promised land, this promise of God. And as they go in, they see two things. Firstly, they see, and we're going to get to, I'm going to read out of the Bible now, it is the land of milk and honey. I think they came to Stellenbosch, I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure. It might have been. The Bible doesn't specifically say it. But there are a few things that we, that's a bit vague in the Bible. So it might have been Stellenbosch. Okay. Or Portugal, that's a nice place as well. But I think Stellenbosch. That's what they see. It's the land of milk and honey, they call it. The promises of God, they say, are good. It's good, these things that God wants for us. The second thing they see is... That there is an enemy there. And these people are bigger than us. And these people look like they could take us down. But Joshua is our example. And I wanted tonight just look at three things that Joshua and Caleb did. Those two together. That I believe as a Joshua generation coming to this year are lessons that we can take for ourselves and say, God, let us be like Joshua. We carry that name. I know some of you aren't part of this church yet. So I don't know what God's going to do. But if you come with us, these are three things that I feel like God is saying to us to, for this year. Be like Joshua. Be like the Joshua generation. These are the things that he did. And there are three key lessons that we can learn. I'm going to go through them. Let's first read. They come into the promised land now. That spies are going in. And we fall into Numbers 13, verse 25 to 30. At the end of 40 days... They returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, later on, the fruit of the land is actually a big bunch of grapes. Hence, Stalemosh. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, uh, for we are well able to overcome it. Now I wanted to say, lesson number one for us as a Joshua generation, the promises of God are good, but they are not easy. They are not easy. They are good, but they are not easy to come by. You know, so many Christians have this misunderstanding where you think everything that God gives is going to be easy to get. If God promises you a godly life, do you think that's easy? No, sometimes it's not. The promises of God has not been that He is just going to open up the way and that it won't be a difficulty to get there because God wants to teach us to be dependent on Him to take hold of the promises that He gave us. So even if God gives you a promise, or even if God gives me a promise, and I'm not one of those Christians that stick a bunch of promises on the fridge and say, God, you promised me ABC, but it's just my desires. I'm not speaking about those things. We'll get to some of the things that I believe it's saying. But if there are genuine promises of God, things that He is giving to us, and for Stanley's PM, I'm saying God is calling us to be a people to advance His kingdom. It's a promise. He wants us to be that people. 
But if we are to be that people, we are seriously not even, we will not take hold of the promises of God if we think that it's going to be an easy journey. The promises of God are not easy to come by. I want to give you a quick illustration. I didn't tell my wife because she would have said no. So I'm going to quickly put up a photo there if you have it. It's an Afrikaans. Sorry. <laughs> She's shy. Okay, so I want to give you a quick illustration here. I believe that God promised me a wife, a good wife. And she's sitting here, you're reading it now, let me read it with you. No, take it away, before people read it, wait, wait, wait. Can you first give context? <laughs> Sorry, this is my wife, she's pregnant with twins and we're really excited. <laughs> she's shy, she doesn't like it if I, she's not shy, but now she is. She doesn't like it if I do this, so that's why, the ask her. So, I just want to give you a quick illustration here. God is, I, I believe God gave me a promise. And if I misunderstood the promises of God, and I believe God, God wanted me to marry this lady, I did marry her, so I'm sure it was a promise of God. And now there's fruit in our relationship, praise God. I believe that God gave it to me as a promise. And it was like, I felt like, yes, that's the wife that God is giving me. But if I were to think that that was going to be an easy journey, and this is not dating classes, please, it's not dating classes, then I would have missed out. And there were times when I wanted to draw back and not pursue this thing because I felt like it was too difficult. And I fell for the lie saying, if it's difficult, it's not God. If it's easy, then God will open the doors. Many times God wants you to kick down that door. So here's a, here's a quick picture. I sent Carla a message one day when I was still pursuing it. And I'll try and translate it to English. Good morning. <laughs> Hope you enjoy your real family. That's a conversation we have. And there is the thing. She says, uh, I just want to make clear, like my Aristotle do I say, Excel, belong, and freestyle. <laughs> Anyone ever received a bat in their life? Okay. That was as solid as bats as possible. So she said, when I said, so meaning this is the second time I'm telling you, Leonard, I'm okay with friendship, but don't try and ask me for more. <laughs> that was a solid bet. Alright. Hope you have two weeks. So that was this Saturday, that was 2015, I think, Carla. 2015, I think. December 2015, then January the 13th, I wanted to play to obviously, I'm like, if that's what you're saying, I'm going to take two and a half weeks to reply. A few weeks later, I reply, you can take it away, you can take it away. You need to play cool with these things, you, you shouldn't look like it phases you, you should be just like, oh, whatever, I'm also interested in friendship. With benefits, almost. <laughs> <laughs> he he lied down in the fetal position, apparently, at friends of his house, um, and cried. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> I have gotten one single round of applause tonight. <laughs> Because I was in the fetal position, I was really in the fetal position. <laughs> anyway, that was devastating. But point is, here we are, 
Um, five years later, married for three years, and I took hold of the promises of God. I was like Joshua and Caleb. But I, hey, yes, yes, the promise of God in a womb, definitely yes. So here's the thing. God does have promises for you, and it's not a Ferrari or a Porsche or anything like that. It's not that. God is calling you for a life where you can honestly make a difference for Him. And He's calling you for a life of intimacy with Him. And He has called you to Stanabash not to work here or to be a student here. He's called you to make a difference here. And He has placed you in your residence or in your neighborhood or wherever you live, not just to live there, but to make a difference there. I really believe those are the promises of God. He, he said that if we are in Him, we will bear fruit. He promises us that we will be a fruit-bearing people. We will be a people that makes an impact. When we started Stanley's PM, I never thought of just starting a service so that it could be a nice thing to do on a Sunday evening. I thought it should be a time where one of the promises that we would have deep, intimate times with God. That's a promise that I want to take hold of. And I knew that God placed us here to impact Stanley to reach people for His name's sake. Because He loves people who do not know Him yet. He loves them. And He called us to those things. But here's the thing. If we want to take hold of those things, and if you want to take hold of those things, it won't be easy. And as a church, I want to tell you, this year is not going to be easy. I preached about this a few weeks ago. And I said, hold on to your horses. It's not going to be an easy year. But just because it's not going to be an easy year does not mean that God is not involved and that God is not going to work this year. He is. Jesus had a difficult road to the cross, but it was God's road for him. It wasn't easy. And Jesus, on his, Jesus said this about the cross. He said, or it said about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus knew there was something, a reason why he's going through the difficulties that he's going through now. Because of you. He had you in mind. You are Jesus' promise. You are his promise. He knew dying would bring you into the kingdom. He knew it. And so Jesus isn't, um, isn't faith. So here's the thing. And this is not me prophesying. This is me saying. We are a Joshua Generation Church. God is calling us to make a difference. God is calling us to advance the kingdom. He is calling us. However, COVID is going to be difficult this year. There might be a third way. We might not be able to gather as a church like we are sometime in this year. We are dealing with people who have grown comfortable with online church and don't realize that that is a dangerous thing to fall into if you only do church online. These are challenges we face. You will face personal struggles this year. There will be difficulties with your studies, with your work, with your relationship. There will be difficulties, but I'm, I'm urging you, be a Joshua generation and hold on to God. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Let's be those people this year. Is that awkward? Is that a cliche? Sorry. <laughs> That's a cliche. That's more, yeah, anyway. Okay, point number one. God's will for us, these promises, it's not always easy to come by, but it's worthwhile. Let's be a people who are tenacious and say, even if it's difficult, we will adjust to still advance His kingdom this year. Number two, and I'm going to read and then I'll tell you what the second thing is. Numbers 13, verse 30. We just read that part. We're just going to go on. But Caleb, he comes in and he quiets the people before Moses and he says, Let us go up at once and occupy it, the promised land, for we are able 
to overcome it. So Caleb was positive. He said, I see it. He had faith. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of all of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of a great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, that's like giant, big people that lived in that time, the sons of Anah, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Caleb saw God, he didn't see the problems. He knew that God was bigger than the problems, and so he had faith. The other people did not have faith, and here's the interesting thing. You know who won, actually, you won that fight. It's the 10 people who were negative, who didn't see it. They actually won that fight. And God came and said, remember these people walked through the promised land, they spied the promised land for 40 days, and God came and He said, because you spied, through the, spied the promised land for 40 days, you saw the same thing as Caleb and, and, and Joshua, but you came back with a negative report. Guess how long they had to walk the desert? 40 years. A year for each day that they were in the promised land. See, God will do anything to get you to a place of relying on Him and having dependence on Him and having faith in Him, even if it takes 40 years. But rather do it more quickly than take 40 years. Rather do it now. But faith spreads. Negativity many times spreads even more quickly than faith does. And so if we are going to be a church that's effective in Stellenbosch and that really makes a difference and that advances the kingdom, we need each person in here to grab hold of it with us. We need you. We need you to find faith. We need you to come before God and say, God, give me faith for this year. I don't have it. And say, God, take me out of a place where I only worry about myself but where I can actually worry about your kingdom as well. Because that's important too. We need you. One of the things that Wilma read, he's one of the, um, one of the, the pastors, one of the elders in Josh Street, he's an amazing man, loves God. He has cancer at the moment, he's busy going through chemo, but you would never know it. He is a trooper, he just carries on for, for the things of God. He says this has to be a church where every member is a minister. Every member is a minister. You are not just yet to be a member of this church. You are not just yet to sit around, you are here to have faith with us. See, we've grown so accustomed in this day and age to everyone walking out their Christianity on their own and thinking it's my promise of God, it's my walk with God, it's my Christianity, but God is calling us to be a family. This is our time. It's our mandate. It's our walk with God. As a church, we are supposed to go together, but we are going to be more effective if all of us come alongside each other and pull each other in. So here's the challenge for you. Love each other. Love each other this year. You will face times when some of us don't have faith. Where we look at the same thing and one has faith and the other doesn't. When the third wave comes and we have to close down church, some people are going to be rocked to their core if that happens. And they are going to say, I can't do it. I need people around me. I need Christians around me. And some others of you are going to have to stand up and say, we will not let go. I see the same answer you do, but I've got faith to conquer it. Come, I'm going to pick you up. We're going to walk through this thing together. We need to carry each other this year. 
When some have faith, carry those who don't have faith. When you don't have faith, cry out to those who have faith. We're going to do this together. We are going to move forward. We will be a Joshua Generation Church together. Number three. Now the story goes on. Forty years later, they've wandered through the desert. God has taught them faith. He's taught them to be a community of faith. This is my last point. They get to the promised land again, and this time, I'm sure that the few are still alive because all of them basically died. The few are still alive are like, please, if we send spies, please let them have faith this time. I'm sure they were like that. But this is the word, these are the words of Caleb. Listen to this before they enter the promised land. He said, and he is in his 80s at this point. I want to be like this guy one day. I want to be like him, a trooper, like Will Murray. Feels like one of those. Caleb stands up, he says, in Joshua 14, verse 12 to 13, you can put it up. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. He looked at the Lord, he didn't look at the circumstances, even though he was 80 years old. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord has said. If the Lord says something, and it is of him, then he will make it happen. You do not have to make it happen. God will go before you. God will go before you. When they tried to stop Jesus, some people wanted to stop the disciples actually, and they said, no, get these people away. One man stood up, and he was a very wise man, and he said, if what these people, these early disciples, who are passionate for Jesus, who are turning cities upside down, which is what the Bible says of them, which is what we are freaking called for, to turn the city upside down, we are. When it was said that, that they were to, would have to be thrown in jail, one wise man stood up and listened to his wise words. I'm not going to quote it directly. You can go read it later. It's in, um, it's in Acts 5, verse 38 to 39. He says, For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. It will. If we try and say, stand and watch for Jesus and God wants to use us to make a difference, if that's of man, it will not fail. Sorry, it will fail. Sorry. (laughs) But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Where are our eyes? Where are our eyes? Let's put our eyes on Jesus and not on the the difficulty that may be lying ahead for us this year. In your personal life, yes. Put your eyes on Jesus. Don't put it on the difficulty. As a church, yes. Let's put our eyes on Jesus. If He promised it to us. If He promised it to us. He has a promise from God. Or uh, something that God said. Luke 12, verse 32. I'm ending with this scripture. Fear not, little flock. We are the little flock. That Jesus is speaking to you. <laughs> For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God says it. Jesus said it. It is His good pleasure. We don't have to come before Him and beg Him. Jesus, please let us make a difference for you. Please give us your kingdom. No, no, no. He said it's my good pleasure to give you these things. Let God fight the battle for us. Let's keep our eyes on God. Let's say whatever comes this year. We will be a Joshua Generation Church. We will take hold of the promises of God. Let's, let's stand together and we end.